Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're in 2 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 11, and we're only going to do verses 1 through 6. So for those of you who are looking forward to the end, uh, we may be out of here very quickly. Before we start, though, I wanted to remind you of where we left off in chapter 10. You know, Paul is addressing the whole issue at the Corinthian fellowship of these false apostles who came in and sought to discredit him in the hearts of the people so that they could take possession, as it were, of the congregation, begin to shape them, and literally corrupt their teaching. Let me recommend to you right now, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to move into chapter 11, but we're looking at verses 17 and 18. Paul coming to the end, he's referencing all the boasting and prideful self-commendation that was going on amongst the false apostles. And he says, however, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is not he who commends and praises himself, who is approved by God, but it is the one whom the Lord commends and praises. Now, if you, depending upon what side of the covenant you're standing on, that's either condemnation or it's absolute rejoicing. Because here's the thing. If I'm living in legalism, then I am waiting to do something that the Lord will commend me in. I'm waiting to create something that delights the heart of the Father. I want Him to commend me. I want Him to be proud of me so I'm busy doing things. That's one side of the covenant. The other side of the covenant, which is the new covenant, says that he has commended me. He has literally remade me into something that he can commend. It's not something I can change. It is something that is inherent in my birth. I am a new creation. And therefore, he would point to me and he would say, Todd is wholly mine. H-O-L-Y. Holy mine. Todd is a new creation that has its very life source in me, from me, through me. The purity of Todd's life, who he is, allows him to stand in my presence. Yeah. So God commends his children. You are commendable because of who you are in Christ. We don't ever have to run from Him. We don't ever have to hide from Him. Though our behavior may not be true to who we are. We may act like a monkey, but we don't become one. He will always receive us. And let me explain that, because I hear that preached a lot, and I think that could create confusion. As though you somehow left the room and came back and He received you. That doesn't happen. You're in union with Him. You're not going to leave Him. Any more than I'm going to leave my arm, you know? It's attached, right? 
You're in union with Him. And receiving, Him receiving you is simply you recognizing that He does. He receives you fully. He loves you fully. He's not rejecting you. If you're a child of God, you will never deal with rejection. The rejection and the shame and the hurt of sin is self-inflicted. Do you understand that? When you sin, that's behavior, when you sin, you inflict upon yourself a false idea of who you are and who God is. And you live in a duality that literally rips you in two. Sin will always punish sin. So Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everything, because we have life and breath, we have life and breath from him. I cannot take credit for anything that I do. The only thing that I can own is my failure. (laughs) That's all I can own. But everything that's worth talking about, everything that's commendable, every kindness, every goodness, every extension of compassion, of love, of generosity, even though I might have had my thumbs in my pits, the reality of it is, is that it had its origin in my heart who is for God. The Spirit of God invoked it in me. So if it's good, and that word good is a direct derivative of who God is, if it is good, if it is worthy, if it is something that can be praised, it is His. A lot of people worry about the Bema Seat. I don't worry about the Bema Seat. Because all we're going to talk about is everything that God did. You know? Let's get happy about that. It's going to be a time of rejoicing and praise. We don't have to sort through it. It is God who commends. It is God who praises. And you, he is proud of. Now, Paul, again, is dealing with false apostles that had come among the Corinthians and begin to turn their hearts away from the truth. And they came in boasting in their references and commending themselves to the people. And they're continually presenting themselves as superior to Paul and sought to discredit him before the people. So Paul responds by reminding the Corinthians that he was commended to them by God as evidenced by their conversion, as evidenced by the church, as evidenced by his very life then he would not have come to the Corinthian people if it weren't for God's work in him. And he would not have preached the message that he preached if it weren't for God's work in him. And they would not have moved, been moved by that message if it weren't for God's work among them. And they would not be wanting to gather together in an assembly that's about the worship of God if it were not for the change of their hearts in God's work in and among them. So what does Paul boast in? The Lord. That's what he boasts in. The Lord. And he says, it is the Lord that has brought me among you. I'm not walking around talking about who sent me or that I, by my own decision came among you and brought to you some some great truth i'm telling you that all that i have shared for you to you that has moved your hearts and has ministered to you came directly from my heavenly father so let him who boasts boast in the lord i know i do that's basically what paul says i know i do you know paul despised self-commendation he hated it in spiritual pride 
He had no room for it. He was more comfortable with referring to himself in this self-depreciating way and deferring all praise to the work and glory of Christ. But he didn't like all of that. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I am where I am because, you know, I have this great understanding of the Word of God. Now, the Lord is blessed, but I will say that through the diligence of my hard work, but on and on some of these... Yes, I am a doctorate of so-and-so and and have a master's in so-and-so, and, and, uh, you know, I taught at such-and-such seminary and blah, 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 blah. On and on and on. Listen, let me tell you something. If anything touches the heart of man, it doesn't matter whether or not you were ever educated. It doesn't matter what you said. You're just lucky that the Father condescended to allow you to be a part of His work, His Word. That's why Paul had no room for all of that stuff. Well, also, you know what else I think? Paul had a remembrance of his life as a Pharisee. He lived for years in that duality and hypocrisy, walking around trying to look spiritual, putting forth the appearance of spirituality, knowing that within were dead man's bones, corruption. And Paul had had enough of it. It, was, it made him sick. And that's one of the reasons he was so driven to wipe out every contrast. He went after the Christians and had an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> I love that. He went after the Christians and had an encounter with Jesus. That's the way it should be, right? In any case, we can see how he feels about spiritual boasting. At the close of chapter 10, he tells us, and then we see it at the opening of chapter 11. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, I wish you would bear with me while I indulge in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me as you read this. Now, Paul is engaging in a little bit of sarcasm. You know, sarcasm could be spiritual. Well, it is for Paul anyway. All right, so he's engaging a little bit of sarcasm here. He's, he regards any self-commendation as foolishness, and he doesn't enjoy having to enter into it. But here's the thing. Paul recognizes that the attempt of these false apostles to discredit the messenger would also discredit the message. And he comes forward to defend the message. This is not about Paul's reputation. This is not about his ego. This is not about his superiority. This is about the word of truth that God had brought forth from him to the people of Corinth. So he is going to take a moment and remind them of when, from whence he came. The false apostles were challenging the credibility of the messenger. So Paul is going to be defending his apostolic authority through this chapter as he is discrediting these false apostles. Now, Paul always saw himself as a messenger and a servant of the Lord. Therefore, he did not tolerate boasting in the flesh. He refers to himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, as just servants through whom the Corinthians first believed. He's saying, there's no significance to my flesh. I am serving him. I am yielded to him, and I have brought you his message 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, Let man regard us 
as servants of Christ. Now, that one is interesting. And I think I, we went through this when we went through 1 Corinthians. That word servant is the Greek word huparitras. And it is, what it means is a galley slave, but it means more than a galley slave. It is a third-tier rower or under-rower. Now, you know the ships of that day had a series of rowers, and you had your top rower, your middle set of rowers, and your bottom set of rowers. That is for the worst of the worst. That was nowhere. That was, that was where they sent them to die. There was absolutely no, nothing good about being third tier. Just as a point of illustration, how many of you have seen movies like Ben-Hur where you've seen the rowing going on? You've seen all that? Did y'all notice the restroom at the front of that boat? That's because there was none. These guys in the third tier were chained. Now, y'all know about gravity. That's a problem. So this is the worst place for these guys to be. And Paul says, that's me. That's where I serve. I am a third tier rower, an under rower. That's the word that he uses to describe himself. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he basically calls himself a garbage pail. A common clay pot used for refuse. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this precious treasure, the good news about the salvation in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty, so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of the power will be shown to be from God, his sufficiency, and not from ourselves. It's so important that nobody recognizes our flesh above our, our Savior. So important. Now, you would think, yeah, that's real important for somebody who's in the ministry. But I want to tell you something. You have a purpose here on the planet. It is knowing him. And there's only one way you can know him. You can know him, of course, by virtue of the fact that he is within you. You can know about him because he is in you and you learned of his salvation and received that salvation. But truly knowing him is expressing his life. It is living out the truth of his presence within you. It is allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be born through you. Allowing his love, a love that, that has its source in God himself, to flow through you in areas where there would be no love, allowing his hope to come forward where there was no hope, allowing his peace to reign where there was no peace, all of those things coming out of him at the center. That is you knowing Christ. If you are in a place where you are facing difficulty and impossible and an impossible situation, you are in the perfect place to know Christ. Every day, every moment of every day is brought to you to provoke faith and faith is the vehicle by which the presence and power of God comes forward through your flesh so that what's in that clay pot becomes glorious. The glorious evidence of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's how we know him. We don't know him by memorizing the Bible. We don't know him by doing church work. 
We don't know Him by our efforts for the poor and the needy. We don't know Him in those things. But in obedience through those things, as He calls us to those things, we yield to His life, and through that life we know Him. It's not in the doing, it is in the yielding. That's how we know Him. And He wants us. That's why you're here. You're receiving your next heartbeat. You're receiving your next gasp of air to know Him. You thought it was to wait for the meal, but it's not. It's to know Him. One of the uh, distractions of youth is the future. When I, you fill in the blank. And for a young person, often we believe life will begin when I fill in the blank. But from God's perspective, you're an eternal being. And what he wants you to know is him in each moment. If you live to the I will be, you won't know the I am. And that's what he's called you to. So Paul has no desire to boast, but they were seeking to destroy the message that God had given through him to the people. It is basically removing the word of God from their thinking. To remove the message of Paul was to remove the word of God from their thinking. Because they weren't hearing the word, and you know what? They couldn't go down to the Christian bookstore and pick one of these up. All they had was the Spirit of God within them, and the Word of God coming through Paul, and that Spirit of God taking Paul's words and making them truth to them, revelation to them. And if, if they disregarded Paul, they disregarded the truth. Now, Paul wasn't concerned about his them personally disregarding him. He was concerned about them disregarding the truth. So, he begins to defend himself. Now, removing the word of God from their thinking, that is the way the enemy deceives. The way he can deceive us is by removing and distracting and twisting the truth around us and in us. That's how he can deceive us. It's not that we don't have the truth within us. It's just that he will change how we hear it, how we see it, and how we know it. Let's look at verse 2. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you to one husband to present you as pure, as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, Paul declares that his jealousy is from God. It is God's jealousy, not just Paul's. What he is feeling is the heart of the Father. The, the thing that is welling up with him in him is God's jealousy. And God's jealousy is indicative of what? It's indicative of his passionate love. You don't get that jealous over possessions. That's not the kind of jealousy he's talking about. I'm not jealous because, you know, of your dress or your suit. I'm not jealous of your car. I'm not jealous of your boyfriend or those things. But I am most jealous when my wife proclaims an affection towards you because she is my love. That's when I'm most jealous. Okay? And this is God's jealousy. It is a righteous jealousy. It is a holy jealousy that says, this is my beloved. This is my object of my love. And it is rejecting that love. If you read the Old Testament, it is absolutely full of references to God's jealousy over his people. 
But what we need to see is how God views his relationship with us. We need to see his passion for us. We don't just need to see his anger. I listen to people preach on this kind of thing, and they, all they talk about is how angry God is. But let's talk about what, what that anger is sourced in. Why is he angry? He doesn't care that the devil doesn't like him. He doesn't care that the devil rejects him. That doesn't make him angry. That doesn't make him jealous. He is angry because the object of his love, the one that he has given everything to possess, his greatest treasure, is rejecting him, is spurning his affection. That's what God is jealous of. It's not a jealousy of the flesh, but a righteous jealousy that reveals his possessive determination towards us that's born out of his love. We see his jealousy. What we need to see is how God views us. The wrecked and torn body of Jesus, the tortured soul and body, the rejection, the abandonment, the betrayal that he endured was in part to satisfy the anger of God over the adulterous acts of his beloved. Do you recognize that? That as you spurned the affections of God, as you've turned your face towards the delights of the flesh, as you have gone after the world, all of that jealousy, all of that anger over that was poured out upon Christ and He took it to the cross and paid it in full. And you know what? That is why God remembers your sin no more. Jesus paid it all. But I'm not talking about what's paid and unpaid. I'm talking about the heart of God towards you. His passion for you. Paul uses the imagery of a Jewish marriage to illustrate his point. In a Jewish marriage, there was the betrothal, or the engagement, and the nuptial, or wedding. A Jewish betrothal was a contract that could be dissolved by death or divorce. The violation of this contract was punishable by death, i.e. Mary and Joseph. It was this contract that represented the commitment between a man and a woman. And there was usually a year in between the engagement and the wedding. And that was a year that was full of purpose. It was during that year that the groom would go away to prepare everything for him and his wife or bride. He would, if he hadn't already, he would get a job. He would be gainfully employed so that he could provide for her. He would prepare a place for her. He would make sure that everything that she needed to be his wife would be at that place. That everything that she needed to care for him and, and the ensuing family would be at that place. That she would have a place where she is loved, accepted, and it would be a place of safety and a place of shelter. Now, all of this, the groom would go do. He was learning what it was to be a husband, to be a protector, to be a provider, to be selfless. At the same time, she was learning what it was to be a bride. She was learning what it was to care what it was to serve, what it was to act as a bride. Because the whole time that he was away, she had to behave herself as someone who was betrothed. She lived her life as she belonged to someone else, as though she belonged to someone else. It was the practice of being what she was to become. Now, let me ask you a question. 
How do you think you can allow, make Christianity real for you? How do you think you can make your relationship with Christ real for you? In your experience, it's practicing the truth of his presence and his life in you. Practicing the fact that you are not your own. Practicing the truth that his life is your life. Being selfless because you have no need. We can be selfless because we have no need. He has provided it all. We can pour it out. So there was purpose in the waiting period. And uh, he would build a home for them to live in. And that home often would be an add-on to his father's house. Or it might be a separate structure that was built on his father's estate. The groom would go prepare a place for his bride. Jesus said in John 14, verses 2 through 4, I go to prepare a place for you. We are betrothed to Jesus and he will return for us and receive us as his bride. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.